The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Refa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussain. And today we are going to delve into the dreaded pump bump, or also known as the Hagelin's deformity, and associated Achilles tendonitis. A very common problem. Uh, so let's dive right into it. Patient comes in, uh, has pain on the back of the heel. Most commonly, they'll have like a little bump or a prominence or aches and swelling. They'll have tenderness after being static for a long time. That post-static dyskinesia also associated with the, uh, the Achilles tendonitis, insertional Achilles tendonitis, enthesiopathy, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. And sometimes it's a golf ball. I mean, yeah. you, you can really see this mass that, that forms. Yeah, it's prominent. It'll rub against their shoes. They'll say that they're uncomfortable in certain types of shoes. So it become, um, becomes kind of this constant irritation Sort of uh, vicious cycle, almost. vicious cycle, absolutely yeah. right. So we don't know for sure what it is. Well, well, your differential, right? It could be your uh, insertional Achilles tendonitis, your pump bump. It could be if in younger children, um, if it might be a little swollen, a little bursitis. It can be a calcaneal apophysitis. Some people will have just generic Achilles tendonitis. That's usually a bit more proximal, um, less over the uh, insertion, a little bit more. Proximal, about two to four centimeters mm-hmm. proximal, that watershed area that we talked about. Right. Uh, it could be plantar fasciitis. Um, people will talk about heel pain. Sometimes they'll have, I'll come up slightly posterior. And you can get the haglins and the plantar fasciitis together. Back oh, to sure. Back. Right. So we get our imaging, right? We typically just start with x-rays. Very rarely do we get MRIs or anything fancy unless we're really concerned about uh, tendinopathies. But what do we see on these x-rays, right? We see that, that huge spur. We see that bump on the back, and we see the spurs here, and we're like, oh, you know, uh, you got something going on. And what do we really see is going on? What our doctor eyes, whatever you want to call it, is we can see that the Achilles has been pulling on that insertion point, that central one-third of that calcaneal um, posterior aspect. Uh, It's been pulling on it, and that pull causes those spur formation, that Wolf's Law change. 
any stress or strain on a bone put over an extended period of time, it is going to accommodate as needed. So we see that, um, that spur forming on the back. You can also see the little spurs on the bottom here. Uh, commonly, you'll see they'll get the spurs on the back and the bottom. Now that tendon is tight, it's pulling against that bone, and now it's also rubbing against that bone. And that's what leads to that Haglund's bump up here. It's literally pressing against that posterior aspect of that bone, and it's stressing that bone out. Now it could be due to a you know physical deformity or prominence, it could be genetic, it could be a bunch of things. It could be shoe care, very common in mm -hmm. people who wear high heels or, or or boots, or uh, here in Texas, you know, men who wear cowboy boots, western boots, the 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 two two inch, one inch, you know, heel lift, and then the, when they come back to the ground, they're like, oh, it's killing me. This is what's happening. Right. So now it's abrading against there. Uh, that tendon is angry. Now we talk about our true deformity. <laughs> yeah. The accommodate the shoe accommodation <clears throat> will only get you so far. So what's happening is that that swelling that you're seeing on top of being that bone, that tendon inflammation, you also end up getting bursas becoming inflamed and angry. Sometimes uh, you can get them uh, on the posterior aspect of the Achilles. Less common, but it can happen. We've had a couple where they'll come up behind the Achilles tendon and between that skin. So that shoe gear is really pinching them off. And that's what you kind of see here, that little uh, that adventitious bursa, that retro uh, calcaneal bursa and the retro Achilles, and they become extra painful. I mean, shoe gear pressure, they're like, I can't wear shoes. I got to wear flip-flops or sandals or mm -hmm. something open toe, uh, I mean, open back. And we do our little exams. We do our things. Most commonly, we see that equinus component, so that's why I put that oh, in here. It's it's invariable. Yeah. I mean, you just don't, you don't see this without a pretty significant uh, lack of range of motion yeah. in dorsiflexion because of a tight calf. Yeah, so that's what we're treating now, all right? So equinus, we already talked about this before, but let's reiterate. Equinus is a tight Achilles tendon muscle structure. Most commonly, it's the gastrocnemius portion of your Achilles tendon. That's when we talk about lengthening the gastrocnemius, when we talk about the surgery part. And that's when we determine with your knee bent, you have great ankle dorsiflexion. Your knee's bent, your ankle can come up nice 10, 15, 20 degrees, Beautiful. With the knee straight and you're like, you're barely hitting 90, that's when we're seeing that equinus component from that gastrocnemius muscle. And that's what's pulling on that, uh, that heel bone. When someone has a severe equinus and it starts pulling the heel out of position, you start destroying the midfoot uh, joint position and you can lead to arthritis, to tendonitis, to all yeah. kinds of problems in the midfoot. It's really the root of all evil. Equinus yeah. for foot structure is the root of all evil. Yeah, a lot of our initial treatments are stretching, good shoes, good insoles. Mm -hmm. It seems so simple. You're like, oh, of course, the foot doctor's going to be talking about insoles and stretching, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's true. It, it, it's really true. It's nothing that, you know, you know, that we're pulling out of left field. This is facts, all right? So treatment, conservatively. We're talking about stretching. There's a couple of stretches on here that I really like. Your, your towel stretch, your, your off the edge, and then your standing lunge. Easy, easy, easy. This heel rocker, a beautiful device, works great at stretching that Achilles complex. I like that because you can do it in in a way that the rest of you is relaxed and you're letting gravity do the work for you. Yeah. So uh, I think when it's done appropriately, it's it's a very yoga theory technique for stretching that I think is extremely effective and much more effective than the standing calf stretch and the towel stretch. Could be equally effective. Where you're doing the, the drop your heel off the off the step, but I think that you know 
there's the potential for people who have balance issues to end up going yeah, and on their landing on their head. But yeah, I love that that pro stretch device for that reason that you're you're really letting gravity do the work for you. And the last thing I'd like to add on, I don't know about you, I'd like to put a night splint on it. Oh, yeah, because I think it helps you keep the gains you're getting from your stretching during the day. You stretch maybe 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at lunch, 20 minutes in the afternoon even. That's maybe max a combined hour of stretching, like maybe a true stretch, maybe 20, 30 minutes combined. But, you know. And then slap that that night splint on and and keep those gains so that that things are are staying in a position where you're going to gain length to the calf muscle over time. Yeah, yeah, it works absolutely. great. You literally put it on. You sleep with it on. Stretch hours and hours overnight. If you're even, if you can't sleep with it on, right? I know I, I wouldn't be able to sleep with that on. I've tried. I had plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cumbersome and weird. But if you put it on and you're watching TV, you're computering, you're Facebooking, YouTubing, whatever you're doing, you watch an episode of Tiger King. Bam! <laughs> that's an hour of stretch right there. Super easy. Yeah. It, it, just because it's called a night splint doesn't mean you have to use it only at night. Yeah. So say patients come in and it's more uh, painful than, you know, just your basic stretching can take care of. So this is the time where we'll immobilize, we'll put them to heel lifts. Um, I like to do multiple heel lifts, about six layers, right, depending on how thick they are. And we'll have them remove one each week, slowly taking that tight Achilles and bringing it back down to the ground. It's, it's conservative, it's a stretch, it's immobilized using that boot. Real simple, real passive. I'll put them on like a metro dose pack and like an anti-inflammatory and possibly a muscle relaxer, uh, depending on how bad it is. And yeah, that initial uh, pain from that metro dose pack will be down, that swelling will go down, that heel lift, you'll peel away one layer each week and hopefully slowly transition back to the ground. If it's not so bad, we'll just do it in the shoes. But mm-hmm. uh, if it's really bad, you know, obviously we can immobilize. I, I'm a little more conservative. I'll keep people in those heel lifts and have them remove a, a layer a month. But if I had oh, wow. six layers, yeah. I would do the weekly. But if I'm just doing the three-layer ones, which raise you yeah. about a quarter of an inch, then I, I do a layer a month. So I have them wean off, off of that over a course of three months. But I'm having them stretch... Oh, yeah. It slowly increase their stretching regimen. Mm-hmm. Once you get their pain under control, then you can really concentrate on that. Initially, they're usually so tender, they can't you even do that. mobilize them a little bit. So it's just heel lifts and rest for three or four weeks, then get going on the on the stretching and the, and the weaning off the heel lift. Yeah. We talked about this before, the equinus component. I thought I'd throw this in there, the different ways that we'll you know, talk about lengthening mm-hmm. the, the tendon. Real straightforward, um, you know, everything fails. We can talk about lengthening. Uh, typically, what I do is the strayer type stripping. Yep. Um, it's simple. It hits that gastrocnemius head more specifically. If it needed more, we can talk about more. But um, And I think that's a safer way to lengthen than lengthening the Achilles because when you lengthen the Achilles, there's always the chance you can over-lengthen and cause yeah. a, a calcaneus deformity and, and you know, heel wounds. People can get heel wounds from that. Yeah. All right. So pre-op, we're talking about surgery now, all right? Everything's failed. We try conservative. It's just angry. It's bad. Um, so we got to plan things out. You know, right. there's I mean, three major techniques on incision placement on this. And as far as surgery is concerned, there's no conservative treatment to get rid of the bone. Oh, so no. when you yes. have a golf ball in the back of your heel, <laughs> it's like patients are like, "Can't we just put some magic fairy dust on that?" Like, Can steroid shots dissolve bone? No, no. So when you have that mass, that golf ball. That's going to continue to be a, a source of irritation, and the only way to fix that is surgery. So that's that's where we may hedge that direction sooner than later on people who have that really yeah. big tennis ball size, golf ball size mass. So there's 
three major incision planes for this. You know, they do the central. They sometimes they'll do like a lazy S type. They'll do it laterally or they'll do it medially. Depending on where the prominence is, I may hedge my bet one way or another. Um, or if there's too much Achilles involvement, then I'll go centrally. Um, but if there's not much Achilles involvement, things are better. But the prominence is the prominent. I'll come from one side or another. Typically more medially than laterally, just because you know it's your um, pressure area from shoe gear. Um, but you know per person it's different. I'd say 80 plus percent of the time I'm still going centrally though, just because there's most mostly Achilles involvement. I don't know about you. I, I like the lazy S. You know I'll start medial, come down, and end up lateral, so I'm right over the bump. Yeah. And, you know, that way, if you have a contracture of your scar, you're going from a lazy S to a straight line instead of a straight line to a contracted, yeah. you know, bad, bad looking scar. So I just, I like curved incisions for as much as I can get away with. Yeah. And you got to be careful. Like, like Dr. D said, you're coming off immediately come when moving laterally. You can catch the sore nerve. You can catch them. Mm, um, if you're too far over. Yeah. Yep. You can catch a bunch of things. So that's why, you know, incision is pretty important for this. Um, also, you don't want a painful scar on the back of your heel also. So, all right. Oh, so I threw this in there, the peritinon. Mm. This is a hot button. I don't know, whatever people talk about for Achilles. Do you or do you not dissect off the peritinon? Now, when I was trained initially, a lot of my docs were diehard, dissected off. And then as I got further along, um, you know, it, it just became less and less uh, I, I needed. Leave, I, I try to leave it alone. Like, yeah. I used to, my... The way I used to split the tendon was in a, a V shape, yeah. so that I created two flaps that yeah, I could put back. back up. I don't even do that anymore because most of these people that have this massive bony prominence, the tendon's so attenuated at the posterior yeah. inferior aspect. I just go right down to the to the bottom. I go straight across and then flap the whole tendon up. Yeah, that way I've got complete access to any spurring within the tendon at the insertion. I can go after the Haglund's deformity. I think the biggest mistake people make with these is just not resecting enough bone. Yeah. Yeah. So the peritinon is like a thin, thin layer of... Um, so it's vascular tissue. Vascular it's, tissue, It's the exactly. blood flow to the tendon. So It's, it's like the periosteum to bone. Yeah. We don't dissect off excessive amounts of periosteum, so I'm in the same boat. I don't like yeah. to touch the peritinon as much anymore. I literally straight through mm-hmm. and uh, don't dissect it off. Why ruin the vascular attachments? The peritinon is it's excessively thin. It literally feels like saran wrap or napkins it, or tissues. It's like wet tissue paper. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's you don't want to you don't want to destroy it if you don't have to for sure. So we go in. Uh, this is I'm showing the posterior incision on this one right here. Um, they go in. They open it like a book. Uh, Doctor D says he comes straight across. Yeah. I do the I do the book technique and mm-hmm. I come down and I come across. I do my T and just so I can dissect out the. Um, uh, the hypertrophic uh, Achilles, uh, whatever scarred up tissue, mm-hmm. and you go pretty much right down to bone. There's no neurovascular structures right. uh, behind the Achilles. There's no uh, nothing that you're going to damage. You're literally hitting bone there, and it's hard because sometimes when you're dissecting it through, as you saw in those previous X-rays, that is jagged. It's like trying yeah. to dissect off the uh, I don't know, like so it, you're, mountain it's, range. It's like a rocky mess, and yeah, you're you're trying to be. As, as protective of the soft tissues as possible, but, but it's not easy. I agree with you. When you're trying to do sort of subperiosteal dissection, yeah. it can take you a good long time. So that's somewhere mm-hmm. I kind of slow down. I'm just like, all right, you know. It's worth it because, you know, you're doing less damage that way. Yeah. So. Uh, you take it off. You dissect it off. If there's any little um, ossicles inside the tendon, that's when you remove them. You have your C-arm there. You know, you can see everything. And then you'll start doing your resection part uh, of your dissection part of the Achilles. So here's a posterior incision. 
Here it looks like they took off a good little chunk of that Achilles, um, whatever was hypertrophic or damaged or whatever, um, and they go down to healthy bone. Uh, they'll start about resecting that bone. I do a, I don't know, some people do osteotomes. I'm a sagittal saw person. Yeah, I use, I use a sagittal saw. And then, and then clean up with the wrong Recipro- Oh, I do reciprocal rasp at yeah. the end. Anyways, knock off that bump, right? So this is showing a, looks like a medial approach. Mm-hmm. So they're they're pulling the tendon apart. They're resecting it. The only trouble when I, whenever we do these medial or lateral approaches is they're showing it and making it look easy. But honestly, what's really happening is that tendon is pretty much enveloping that entire prominence. And you peel back maybe a third or half of that tendon and... You still have to anchor it back down. Mm-hmm. And then obviously where the spurs might be forming at the origin or the insertion of the Achilles, um, you got to dissect those, th- those things out also and just kind of smooth them out. And It can be a little t- little tougher to go that route. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's just the Haglans and there's no spurring, no. that's probably not an unreasonable thing to do. But It's less common that you see that. Yeah. yeah. You usually see these massive spurs. Yeah. So here, so that's a good amount of bone resection. Yeah, here that, I want to talk about contouring. I, you see these X-rays, you're kind of like, oh my god, you know, uh, the patients are like, oh my god, you took off so much of my bone. This is normal. This no, is, that's that's what you need. That's text. I mean, I would have smoothed <laughs> this out with my reciprocating, and that's nothing. It, but, honestly, yeah, you'll never feel that. I don't think it has any impact. Yeah. I agree. And you can see when they attach, they attach it a little bit higher and a little bit more superior rather than back down mm-hmm. here. And that's done beautifully. I always tell patients, I'm going to resect out and we're going to take off a good chunk of that bone on the back. Mm-hmm. We're going to clean up that tender, contour, whatever, and then I'm going to attach it to the superior portion of that heel bone. One, you're less likely to get the haglins now because you're, you're not rubbing against anything. And two, now that with the lengthening up top and a little bit of lengthening down here, you're less likely to get that heel spur right. formation. Yeah, it'll take... You know, if it took 60 years to develop that, it, yeah. you know, it'll take another 60 years for you to get another one, which is you know, just unlikely. Yeah. So So what if you get in there and the tendon is more damaged than you realized, right? You clean it up. The tendon is attenuated, like Dr. Mm-hmm. D said. Um, we resect out all the hypertrophic tissue. If there's ossicles, etc. And you're like, all right, we need to bolster this uh, Achilles tendon some. So sometimes you can use a graft, you know, sometimes you can get away with just using a simple graft and, you know, building the, the, the mass back up. But a lot of the times... So you're talking cadaveric Achilles tendon graft. Yes. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the times, um, you know, the tendon it needs a little bit more strength and umph and pull power or whatever, and then we'll use the flexor tendon, the flexor hallucis longus. Use the flexor hallucis longus, right? Typically. I haven't had to for a long time. It's not uh, common. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I would. By all means. I would go up and do a gastroc recession if I need a length. Oh, I always do my gastrocs yeah, with yeah. these. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, say you know, for whatever case that the Achilles has been damaged, this is something you know of the alternatives yep. that we'll see. And they have all. some, you know, I think the when you really see, you've had to replace a significant amount of the Achilles. You have the end block ones where that are they're literally connected to calcaneal bone. Yeah. So you can just carve out a, a little chunk out of the calcaneus. Screw those in. Push this sucker in, put a screw across it, and it's attached directly attached to the Achilles. And then you can fan out over the native Achilles. Yeah. And yeah, that's a really strong construct. I mean, yeah, I've seen some that were on you know, Shaq had that done, but Shaq had a massive <laughs> issue with his Achilles. And Probably had to use like a horse tent for oh, that man. guy. Yeah, yeah, he had a <laughs> massive Achilles repair done. Uh, so the, the the goal being is to add strength, you know. The good thing about the flexor hallucis longus is that um, the muscle belly is nice and low, so you're actually attaching, you know, vascular tissue to the back of the uh, the Achilles tendon also. Yep. 
all in all, you'll close it up, you'll anchor it down. I use absorbable stitches on mine. I don't know about you. And then I'll use my tenon anchors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, reapproximate everything, make it so when people will touch the back, it will be nice and flush. A lot of times you'll have these cases that come back in, uh, you know, from other people, and they'll come in and you're like, you know, I had surgery back here, but I can still feel a knot back there. Yeah. It doesn't hurt, but I can definitely feel it. I, it's, it's I, just, I'll put a umbilical cord oh, me too. Know, over that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I so yeah, it. just to make because it's a real thin layer of skin. So the 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 more clean your closure on this is, the better patients end up doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do the best unisection, the best repair, and if the closure isn't nice, patients will complain. So it is important. But yeah, uh, the goal being you know a nice contoured heel, nothing that's going to rub, and then obviously the prominence is gone. And yeah, uh, it works beautifully. I typically do two anchors. I know this person, whoever did this, in single anchor. Um, yeah, I'm usually running up, yeah, each up side. the side and yeah, then crisscross yeah. in the middle. Yep. Yeah. All right. But I mean, that's pretty much it. The recovery for this is pretty straightforward. Some people do splints, boots, casts. It doesn't make a difference. If I'm able to get them to 90, I'll put them in a, in a boot. If they're not able to get to 90, I'll put them in a splint or a cast. I'll typically bivalve the cast just to make sure any swelling and things that might be happening. But you'll be non weight bearing. Uh, I do about six weeks, depending on how good they're doing. Maybe mm-hmm. closer to four weeks if they're doing better. Uh, young, healthy patients. Because at three weeks, the tendon theoretically is just mush. Yeah. And it takes another ten to fourteen days for you know you start to to take that disorganized collagen and and realign it, and that that's what you need before you're going to be able to withstand full weight bearing. Yeah. So yeah, I think the knee scooters are great. Obviously, they're they're either in a cast or a cam boot for that first. Four to six weeks. Yeah. Uh, real straightforward surgery. Uh, it's just, you know, a painful area. Well, and, and you got to understand that you're you're not going to feel normal again for six to 12 months. Oh, yeah. The recovery. Yeah. The it's, surgery part is the easy part. The recovery is the long part. It just takes time. You got to get through some PT, get your range of motion back. But, yeah, most people say, you know, I didn't feel, you know, back to my, my normal self for, you know, 10 to 12 months. And that's not unusual. Yeah. But that's pretty much it for your Haglinger, a.k.a. Pump Pump. Very nice. Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Hussein. That was an excellent overview of the dreaded Haglund's deformity. So we will see you guys next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See y'all next time. Bye-bye.